Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my dear friend, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. How's it going today, Wendy? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Excellent. As you know, I just love doing these with you, so <laughs> I can't wait to jump into today's topic. Yes, I think today when we talk about behavioral change, I mean, this really hits home to me and something that I, I constantly have to remind myself of the different stages because, you know, you get clients that are scared to death to come into the gym. And, you know, as a trainer, they're already, you know, they're nervous about walking in the doors. They're nervous about, are they in the right attire? They don't know. Maybe they've heard about you, but they haven't met you or they're not sure what you look like. So there's so many fears, um, you know, when they actually walk through the door. But when, you know, someone's new to exercise and they're new to having a trainer, when you're really, when we go through and talk about the trans theoretical model, I think it really plays an important role to understand maybe how long it took them to actually commit to even walking through those doors, let alone what their journey is up ahead. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, a couple of weeks back, we did one more on the research that I did for my doctorate. And I was very interested in why people didn't exercise or why people started exercising and then stopped because, you know, to me, it's, it's a must. You have one body, you're going to live in it your whole life. Why not take care of it? Doesn't mean it's easy for us all the time, but, you know, I thought that this was uh, something I want to study. So, you know, Wendy, I got a couple emails from that one master instructor round table. And this was kind of when you and I were talking about ideas. I'm like, you know what? We do have an answer for them to, to get better at this side of the business. And as you and I talked about, there's the science and then there's the art of training. And I think that people that take the behavioral change specialist start to really understand that communication, that thought process, and then they can really match those skills up with the awesome science that they learned through the OBT model and really then become impactful. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's one of the things we wanted to kind of bring to the forefront because you have to be able to read people and you have to be able to understand and, you know, be empathetic when it's time to be empathetic and be strong willed and, and hold them accountable when when it's appropriate. So there are a lot of different variables in order to be successful with your clients. And I think with NASM's behavioral, you know, change specialist course that we have, I think they really do a good job kind of outlining you know, truly how to work with people of all different types, because it's not just about different sizes. It's about how people process the information as well. Absolutely. And people go through changes, you know, as they go through life, different stages of their life. You know, we all go through stressful times in our life and, you know, and then no. also, no, no. Sure? I know you, I know you don't, <laughs> but some of us do yeah. just saying, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm losing my hair and yours is, you know, everything's perfect, but uh, you know, we need to understand how people may change their thought process and how, how life affects them because it's not just about, Hey, let's get in and get the exercise. Let's, we got to connect with them as human beings. So that way, you know, we can provide them the best service possible. Oh, and you know what I find interesting, and Marty, I know you don't do this because you very you're a very regimen in your life, and you're very good at your nutrition. I, on the other hand, you know, I I live life to the fullest, and then I work out in order to live life to the fullest. And so, you know, I indulge in the in the desserts, and you know, maybe having a beverage or two that may be higher in calories than water. Um, but you know, I think it's interesting how people just associate your job and the the person that you are just in general, you don't have to be a trainer. Um, it just, if that, that, that it's not okay to live, you know, and that's just mm -hmm. it. And I think that's one thing we want to actually change when people come in too, is understanding I'm not here to put you on a diet. I'm not here to, you know, to 
let you lose a certain number of pounds. I want you, yes, to hit specific goals, but there is a journey ahead. There's a lifestyle change. It's a mental, you know, reset in your head. And, you know, because people are like, oh my goodness, you had a candy bar. And I'm like, yes. And it was fantastic. And so, <laughs> but because I'm a trainer, I'm not allowed to do that. And, and, you know, unfortunately that's what people think. And, you know, they also think the trainers should look a specific way and wear certain clothes and certain, you know, certain situations. And, you know, some some trainers choose to do that. Some don't. Um, you know, I'm usually in a polo and pants when I am at the gym, um, you know, depending on the clients. But uh, but there are some that that are not in those types of clothes. And, you know, I wear yoga pants and stuff like that, too. But, you know, what I mean. Yeah. And again, you know, we, we go back through when you understand behavior and how people think, things like that. You know, sometimes it just comes down to helping people understand that what the process is and that they, they're going to be the healthiest version of themselves. Right. Because sometimes their goals will not match up with anything that is realistic, just whether it's their DNA, whether it's whatever it is. So we just want to make sure that we can connect with them at the right point, have these skills that you'll see here. And we only highlighted some of the course, we couldn't get through all of it, but just to kind of lay out the, the soft skills, I like to call them that you need mm -hmm. to elicit better changes in someone's behavior. And then, you know, physically good things happen. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, the change could be out of our control, but if we can get them compliant, if we can get them and enjoy it and working harder, good things happen. Absolutely. And that actually brings us to what are we talking about today? Besides just behavior change specialists, let's kind of go into the intro. So, you know, we, as I, as I mentioned, NASM does have a specific course um, called the Behavior Change Specialist that if you're looking for continued education, I think this is a fantastic course. And I know they had some great contributors that have researched this. And, you know, they, like I said, they've explained different types of models and ways to understand the processes that people go through, as you said, Marty. And then, um, of course, you know, we are going to define the differences between art and science because it is different. I mean, you know, when we're, we defined it, so I won't tell you now, it'll be on the next slides. Um, but uh, and then again, like I said, you know, being a behavior change specialist, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's more than one course. You have to practice it. You have just like anything in order to be really good at a craft and really good at understanding people. You have to apply the information and see what works and what doesn't. Yep, absolutely. And the one thing that I've learned, and I think that if I want to give a the key one thing, is, the one thing one, you've it's learned, all, wow, it's all I've learned. I want to no, be you. <laughs> exactly. It, I I learned the one thing, and then everything else falls into place, right? I I can't tell you, but I'll tell everybody else. Is when you communicate with your clients, you're always going to be better off communicating uh, in a safer manner, whether you're using positive reinforcement, not talking about certain topics, but not talking about, you know, their looks and their thing, because you just don't know what's going to cause a negative response to them. So we have to be very careful too, in what we see maybe on TV or what we see on Instagram with that yelling and screaming and be motivating, but be supportive as you motivate and use positive feedback. I never use negative reinforcement you know, because of what I've learned in my doctorate or what I've learned in the behavior change specialist, because all it takes is that one trigger and you can send somebody into a spiral. And, you know, I think we have to be very cognizant of that. And I think Instagram and social media and TV shows have made people sometimes forget that we're dealing with emotional human beings that do have triggers or certain ways they perceive things. And we need to be very careful about that. 
Yes. And I mean, when we think about continuing education, I mean, yes, when we're talking about the course, you get continuing education for continuing the course. But I always look at it as continuing education for the client as well. And what I mean by that is I always, even in the, the assessment process, I tell them, hey, based on what you said with this discomfort and, you know, you notice that you were having some issues when, you know, when you take your shoes off for the day, when you're walking around that you may have pain here, you know, in different places. I think it's important to be able to, to teach them and put things back together and, and explain to them, not don't get sciencey. They don't care and they don't want to know, you know, what muscle does what. But if you kind of tell the story to make it make sense, that amount of rapport that you're building from the start makes a huge, huge difference. And I know for me, I'm a why person. So I always explain that like, listen, hey, the reason why we're doing this is to help with this, this and this long term. Always have rationales for everything that you're doing with your client. Don't just read a magazine, think this is a cool thing to do. If it doesn't make sense, if it's not going to be something that is going to be beneficial at that time, hold it for a later time or maybe just disregard it altogether. And, um, you know, just teach your clients as well because they're, they will keep coming back. I've had people say, if you teach them too much, they're just going to leave. And that is not the case because I have people that I would love to get rid of because I've had them for a long time. I need to bring in someone new that needs my help, but I don't have any room. But then again, now they've become family. And so it's like, I know they know what to do, but they still come and see me because they want to spend time with me. Yeah. Well, I, of course that doesn't ever, (laughs) I I had a, a personal trainer at one of our workshops when we were doing live. And I went through that process. Like I'm always trying to teach, always trying to teach, always trying to make the person self-reliant without me. And somebody goes, Marty, you're, you're educating them too much. And are you worried about them leaving? Yes. said, first of all, if I can teach them everything I know and they can execute it, I don't know much. And they, the personal trainer paused and they're like, okay, I get it. Because even if we have them for three hours a week, we know that's not enough. You know, and the more I teach them, then I can build to the next part that goes off of what I just taught them. So I, I completely agree. I have the same philosophy. Oh, I had a client tell me this actually yesterday. Um, you were in my head because I went to the grocery store yes. and I had people there. I was looking at how they're pushing their cart and their feet were out. And, you know, they were trying to read labels and their head was really forward. And I'm thinking, you know what? I have done such a good job because exactly. I want them to be able to see it. And then I'll say, when you see it, it bothers you, right? And you're like, well, and they say, well, yeah, because I know that if they don't learn to fix that, they're going to end up having some issues in their lower back and they're going to actually come, you know, and have to see someone like I had to see you in order to correct those issues. So to me, I think that's fantastic. I love getting that type of feedback because yes. I know that when I, really taught them that it triggered. So now they're more aware, not only of themselves, but others around. And um, so I told them to start passing out my card, you know, because it won't be long until, until they need help. <laughs> exactly. I love, I love running circles in my clients' heads. I know I'm, you know, I'm always there. So, all right, if we move forward to the next slide and we talk about really, truly, you know, the importance of continued education I mean, we mean this like both for the trainer as well as the client. Mm-hmm. Education and fitness are both a race with no finish line. And no matter what, there may be an end goal, like to if somebody wants to lose a certain amount of weight or they want to get so, you know, gain so much amount of muscle or whatever, whatever the SMARTS goal is at the time. Once they hit that goal, they're going to reset another one or they should. And they should always try to keep growing in a positive way and always set goals. Because if you just hit a goal, and then you just kind of don't set another one or you don't think ahead, then what ends up happening is people start to regress 
and then they get to the point to where they were before they even started that goal um, that they finally achieved. And, and I see that more so than, oh, I'm going to just maintain and all is well. I usually see the opposite without something else to push them forward. Yeah. And with the personal training side of things, you know, this is just a me thing. One of the things that frustrates me is when I have people in the industry who want to earn a lot of money, they want to charge a lot of money, but they get frustrated that they need to take continued education. It's a privilege to work within an industry that requires you to have continued education. Like imagine going to your doctor, I won't say lawyer, Wendy, this time, doctor, and they don't have to have continued education, right? So the reason I think that frustration happens is that people wait in the continuing education cycle and then they panic and they grab things and then they don't feel like they're getting their money's worth. Well, if, if, if it wasn't a skill you needed or a skill you're going to utilize and you did it from convenience, it wasn't the best investment. But so what I do is I have different things I have to track my CEUs. I make a plan over that two-year period and I identify early in that two-year period or even sometimes before okay, what do I see changing in the industry? Where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? What do I need to do to fill an educational gap or refresh on? And that way, when I go do my courses, it's in a timely manner. I don't feel rushed. I actually gain more from the education and I feel like it's an investment. It's not an expense. So to me, I always ask those questions when somebody says that to me and inevitably, yeah, they're like, yeah, I have three months left. It's like, well, what did you do with the last year and nine months? You didn't make a game plan for success. Well, I'm right there with you because I'm like you, Marty. I mean, with me having my manual therapy license, I have to have, you know, 20 hours, you know, 12 of it has to be hands-on, you know, 12 can be online. And then of course, none of those actually really merge into what I need for my CPT and the things that I need to, need to do to maintain my, my, um, uh, my certification for training, um, which is, you know, I, I need both in order to make a living to do what I do. And so Correct. I'm this, I've already done, you know, six and a half hours of stuff that I need to do for my license. And then, you know, now with Optima coming up, um, right. you know, 1.9 free, I mean, heck yeah. And, you know, and then at that point, you know, I mean, I know we're going to talk about that next week, but I mean, I think it's an, an easy grab. Um, it's not very expensive and it is so nope. worth it. So yeah. worth it. Totally. And I'm in the same boat with the license and the personal transformation. Yeah. But again, I, I, enjoy, I geek out on that stuff. I enjoy it. And I guarantee you that's why our, we have had a chance to do what we do in our career because we take that continuing education so passionately. Yes. And I learn something new every time I take a different course. And even Absolutely. there's some that I've repeated because I wanted a refresher and it's like, wait a minute, that wasn't a refresher. Like there was new research that came out. Correct. I mean, the same thing when you look in our textbooks and the same thing when you're looking at, you know, our CPT and our CES, when you're looking at those two textbooks, I mean, we've got language changes because there was more research to say, eh. you know, like for instance, we're no longer calling things self myofascial release. Well, why? Because we don't know what we're releasing. So it's a technique. This is how you do some mobility assessments. Why? Because it's easier to, to, you know, to navigate, easier to, to have the client perform and it's super vast. So there's always ways to make your life easier, better, but you're also going to be in the know. If I stop learning when I graduate from college, holy moly. Oh, my clients would be in a ton of trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. Cool. Uh, so have a game plan. All right. Let's uh, move to the next slide. And, and let's talk about some definitions.
Yeah. So when we talked about this, I, I brought it up already. I said the art versus the science. And so, you know, why not put something in here? So science is that systematically the body of knowledge on a particular subject. Then art is a skill at doing a specified thing, typically one acquired through practice. So there's some carryover. But the way I look at this and the way I define it is when we created the book for the NASM, OPT or CES or you name the course, we are teaching it in a perfect world scenario. Mm -hmm. Right. We're assuming that every client's going to be compliant. Every client's going to be there on time. Every client is going to do a full body workout. Every client's going to do every phase of the training. And OK, got it. The art of it is what happens when somebody comes in versus the next person that comes in versus the next person that comes in. And they keep throwing you their life scenarios, their curveballs, their things like that. So the science isn't going to you know, it's going to change. But once you learn it, you're going to just continue to tweak it and grow it. But how you apply that differently to every single person, and I'm not even talking about their goals right now, because we've done a lot of webinars on different parts of the model, different goals, et cetera. Let's just talk about different people and different communication styles and different processes and different stressors in life. Add that to the mix of the different goals and the different movement compensations. But if you can really start to hone both of these skills, that's where you are going to be in high demand and you're going to enjoy the effects that you're going to be able to elicit on your clients as well as financially, I would have to think that you're going to be happy that you have a prosperous career. Yeah. And I mean, I always, if, if I'm trying to explain it to someone that maybe, you know, that's like kind of new to the industry, I always say, okay, think of science as like, you're, you're learning about the body, you're learning about, you know, exercise physiology, you're learning about, you know, anatomy, the way that, um, you know, the way that the body is meant to to move and we move in three planes and there's joints and muscles and stuff to make that happen. That's the science of human movement. Right. And then you've got, like you said, the OPT model, like it's the art and this creativity. But even if you were to take, you know, exercise science out of it and you were thinking about a cook, let's say, and you've got somebody that wants to be a baker. And some, anybody can make a cake. You're learning about the different ingredients, you know, what goes into making a cake. But in order to make one of those fancy, like unbelievable cakes that you see sometimes in like, you know, when you go to a, to a, a restaurant, and they've got their just like desserts on display and they are like unbelievably creative with what they can do with that stuff. That takes time and practice and everything. People can all bake a cake. Anybody can learn anatomy. It's just what can you do to make those tweaks, to make it as fine tuned as possible in order to get that unbelievable outcome. And that usually when it comes to cake, again, desserts here, um, you can start to see, you know, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can make a cake. I made a cake for my dad for his birthday and it was not pretty, tasted amazing, but uh -oh. you know, um, but I don't do that often. And that was one thing. He's like, I want you to bake me a cake. I'm like, done. I looked at it and I'm like, I try to write on it and everything. My writing all like blended together. It's like big white blobs. I'm like, you know what? There was a lot of love. And that's what I told him. This is love right here. It doesn't look pretty. Well, you're left-handed. It's got to be harder to write on a cake. That's all I'm saying. I just put the cake way over and then do it. I don't have this thing going on. I still okay. write up. But yeah, it's got to be the, the paper or the cake or whatever has to be way turned so my hand can be straight. <laughs> now, the key question, the most important question, was a chocolate cake? Um, no, it was lemon. Lemon cake, lemon icing. That's his favorite. If that's his request, it's fine. But... <laughs> 
I'm just saying, if you have chocolate, then the, the look of it is even less impactful because it tastes good because it's chocolate. I'm just, that's I just know. My, this my, actually my. tasted really, I, I was actually I believe you. I believe you. It was something way different. That's something that I don't, I don't normally cook. So. But I just think chocolate or covers beige. up more mistakes. That's um, Maybe that's just one I cook. I don't know. I, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm more of a vanilla fan, so mm. I'll choose vanilla over chocolate. But I don't usually say no to a candy bar either. So what do I there know? You go. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so if we look at the next slide and we actually start to kind of bring all this um, together, we want to think about like the three elements for long lasting change. And, you know, oftentimes people come in and they think it's all about what they're going to do at the gym in order to make those changes. And yes, that is one step of a three part, you know, um, I call it a three part series, but it's really not. You're looking through looking at the three parts of what it is in order to make long term lifestyle changes. It, yes, you want to get yourself into the gym. Yes, you have to commit. Yes, you have to put it in your schedule. And yes, there's, you know, flexibility routines and there's things that you need to do in order to see positive changes on how you look and how you feel. However, what you put into your body, the fuel um, that that, you know, the things that you're eating and the way that you're, you know, kind of building not just your workout plan, you need to have a nutrition plan. Do you need to take a multivitamin? Do you need to take any type of supplements because you've done your blood work and you see that there's something that you may be lacking? Um, so, you know, looking at yourself just really holistically and then being smart with your choices. You know, are you logging your food? Are you watching your calorie intake? You know, do you have a fitness tracker or some kind of tracker that, you know, kind of looks at looks at everything? You know, those two components, because I'll tell you, you can work out all day, but if you eat like crap, you're not going to see those results. But you have to, ready for this, change your behavior that if you're used to eating out all the time and just eating what you want whenever you want and drinking all the time, you're probably, again, because you're used to the social environment, if you don't make changes, even not saying don't be social, but make better choices, it all really does play a part. But you've got to want to change. You truly have to change in your brain and you have to set a goal and then you have to kind of stick to it. And over time, hopefully that that results in long or long-term changes, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. You know, as I always say, it's hard to out-exercise a bad diet. And when you also look at it, you know, food is medicine. So even if you, I have some friends that are genetic freaks, they could eat McDonald's all day and their body weight doesn't change. So if that was their only measurement of success, but that doesn't mean internally that you're healthy, right? Or your energy levels and all these other issues. And, you know, maybe there's a, a point where it catches up to you when you hit a certain age, you know? So I think that those are kind of some key things that the behavioral change specialist can really help you focus on is, you know, why are you doing the behaviors you're doing? And do you have a complete solution? Are you at least addressing those three main components, at least at some level? Well, and unfortunately, I, I, I fall victim to this because when I was in college, I ate all the time. And, you know, of course, I was living on a college budget, so I didn't have, you know, I'm not going to like Ruth's Chris or some crazy restaurant spending a ton of money, um, even though there's a lot of butter in that. But but regardless, I'm going somewhere where it's very, um, you know, organic chicken and, you know, steamed vegetables that are grown in gardens and stuff like that. I'm not doing that. I was going to, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, you know, things that were fast, quick, simple. I could grab on the go. They were open 24 hours, you know, and. I never really gained weight at the time. Now, granted, I was way younger, but when I went in and did my physical, my cholesterol was out of control. Wow. And they're like, what did you do? And I'm like, okay, like I know how to fix this. And I went back the next year and everything was perfect, but I had to change what I was used to doing because it was convenient. 
And that's just it. Cooking stuff and, and doing meal, you know, prep and all that stuff. You have to think ahead to make positive changes. And that's what I did. But, you know, it's it took one time for the doctor to be like, wow, look at your numbers. And I'm like, oh, my bad. OK, yep. That's a big motivator. That was enough. That was enough for me. So I've been there. I'm not perfect. I never claimed to be perfect and I've made multiple mistakes. But the big thing is, is you always learn and you have to make a change. So there we I, have I hear it. that common theme throughout. The you journey. think no, it even says it on there. Make a change. Exactly. So why don't you tell me about some coaching and communication here, Marty? <laughs> We've hit on this earlier as well as in other, you know, um, round tables, but you know, this, uh, obviously our behavior change specialists will go into it in depth in case this is something she haven't really studied is sometimes it's, you know, how you deliver the message is going to be very important. So, you know, you got to be, as you said, empathetic. So simple things, changing just the way you speak, you know, I hear what you're saying, you know, having some encouraging statements, like you are absolutely capable of making the change. Then you can go back to, you know, that sounds like a rough situation. My, you know, my sense is that you are a very strong, resilient person. And then I know what you're doing isn't easy. You have the ability to face this challenge. So just having that empathetic response and that encouragement just can oh, get somebody to be like, okay, you're right. You know, instead of going, oh, you know, suck it up, let's go. It's like, ah, that, that's, that might work for some people some of the times, but it, there's been science behind this that shows that this is a better way to coach and communicate, especially in the position that we're in when somebody's already kind of humbling themselves or, you know, exposing themselves in areas that they may not feel comfortable with. Oh, and, and I hear this all the time. And I always try to go in with certain positive things in my head that I mm -hmm. can actually express to my clients. Like, you know, it, not about how they look, not about what they're wearing, nothing about any of that stuff. Because even as you said in other um, webinars, Marty, that's not really the best thing to do that. But it's like if they've had a really crummy day or, you know, something's happening at work. It's like, you know what, today is going to pass and tomorrow is a brand new day. Just, you know, wake up in the morning and try to do this, that and the other. You can do this. You can change your mindset. You can make a difference. You can be impactful. And they're like, you know what, I can. And so even even though they may not believe it, if you hear it and you, and you really, truly can commit to what you're saying because it resonates, you know, as soon as it does, then you can really make a difference in someone's life. No question. And that could be some of the times the more important part of the session than the entire workout. Yes. Unfortunately, we're more than just right. a trainer, right? It's sometimes we listen to their stories. Sometimes we have to play around with the family feud. It's kind of right. sometimes very uncomfortable, but always keep it positive. Yes, indeed. You, you check your crap at the door. You walk in and it's all about them. <laughs> we're, not allowed to we're not allowed to have a bad day. No, no, not unless the, fresh, the session is free. So, um, exactly. yeah. And then who's, who's paying him. Who? So, all right, let's move on to the next slide. And this kind of gets into truly the trans theoretical model of behavior change. And there really are five different levels of change that you always want to consider when you're working with someone. And I kind of mentioned this in the very beginning, but I'll take the first one, Marty, and then we can kind of sure. just, I guess, you know, kind of go back and forth. But the first one is a big one, and it's pre-contemplation. And so when somebody's talking about, pre, you know, when you're thinking about what that means, it's that they're, like, not intending to take action in the future, but, you know, maybe in the next six months, like, oh, you know, like, I know that I need to do this. I really want to do this. But you know that they're not making any any plans 
you know, they're not like scheduling stuff or sitting down to figure out financially how they're going to do this or time-wise how they're going to do something. But, you know, somebody mentions it like, oh, that's a really good idea. You know what? I should join that group or I should meet and do the run club in the mornings. And it sounds awesome, but yet you know that it's far out and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And then this hopefully transitions into that contemplation where now they're like, you know, maybe I would like to go back to, for me, maybe mixed martial arts or somebody else to this, the spin class or somebody else to, you know, I've always wanted to get to a gym. So it starts to become a little more real and they start to say, well, you know what, when summer comes, you know, so now it's still a little bit away, but it's maybe within that next six months, it becomes a little bit more real to them. And they start to frame in what that could potentially look like. And then pretty much, I, you know, number three would be the prep phase. So now they're preparing to actually, you know, take action. So, you know, maybe someone's like, you know what, I need to go to the gym. I know that the only way that I'm going to hit my specific goals is if I hire someone, I pay someone to do this, they hold me accountable. So, you know what, I'm going to make a call. And so, you know, usually that's the way that I, I look at it is when they signed up to have that assessment, that's in the prep phase because they are making that commitment. They're scheduling something out with you because they know they probably can't get in your books the next day. And they are preparing to make the changes that they've been thinking about. Now they're kind of like, you know what, this needs to happen. So to me, I think number three is the one that I embrace the most because for them to even really start to make the plan to put it in their schedule and make it happen that's big, guys. That's so big in our industry. So I think that that's one that I highlight a lot. And I keep thinking, okay, you know, within that month, you want to keep it positive and get them excited about that meeting because it can make a huge different long or difference long term for them. Yeah. Sometimes you get that one chance, right? So then we move into action, which is where they, you know, have made specific overt modifications in their lifestyle within the past six months. So this could be, they joined the gym, they started training, they're monitoring their nutrition intake, any of, any of those things, they could start walking, maybe they start adding mobility in whatever, but now there's momentum. We, we have accomplished that they are doing something. So that obviously these phases are very important for us to be integral, make it enjoyable, make it specific for them, all those smart goals, all that fun stuff that we've talked about in the past. So that way they get the best outcomes. And then hopefully Wendy, I'll let you finish up. They go to this phase. Yeah. So hopefully long-term they hit their, their one goal and they're starting, as I said earlier, they're starting to prepare for the upcoming goals. What is it? But, you know, once they hit the one major like milestone, like whatever they, it was, whether it was they wanted, you know, weight loss or they wanted to be able to successfully run a half marathon or full marathon and they do it, but they want to stay and maintain how they feel and maintain the distance, but being smart to not, you know, not to wear down, you know, their, their joints, and their muscles, but having a very well-rounded program. Once they, once they kind of get there and, and you're kind of taking the next step of what are they going to do next, you know, usually that's the maintenance stage. This is where, you know, they've made specific, um, you know, they've hit specific goals. They've made really good lifestyle changes, but you want to make sure that they don't revert back into something where they start to, you know, go in the complete opposite direction. And so, again, maintenance is, is hard. And I, I don't think people understand that because they were super excited about hitting their goal. They want to be there, but then they're like, oh, I already look a certain way. So it's okay if I miss the gym today. Well, then, then that one day is like, oh, this other meeting came up or, oh, you know, my kid has this event. So, 
I'm not going to be able to make it in the gym today, but I'll go tomorrow. I'll go. And then that's when you start to see like a shift again. And it's usually a negative shift. So it's very important to keep the, keep the momentum going. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll take consistency over intensity any day. Yes. Because, you know, there's time. I'm not saying you don't want to be intense at some point in time in your training, but I want people to train back to that original slide or two is it's a race with no finish line. I'm not looking for you to sprint for the next three months, burn yourself out, hate the process. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, and then you go back to the, you know, pre-contemplation phase. I want you to groove that maintenance phase, changing your program around all that fun stuff, but I'm looking for consistency. Yes. And I had a client, this is a true story. He was a computer guy. I mean, unbelievable IT guy was at the desk all the time, gained a ton of weight, felt horrible about himself. Didn't like how he looked, didn't like how he felt. And I'm like, why don't you just come in, have a session? You know, first one's on me because he, he was a friend too. You know, first one's on me. Let's just get you moving. Let's see how you feel. Let's see if there's things that I can make you make you feel better. And then he ended up saying, okay, now I want, you know, after his first session, he's like, man, I'm, I'm worse off than I thought. And that's what I always hear. I can't even do this when, you know, and he's way younger than I am. So he should easily be able to do some of the stuff that we had. But I'm like, you know what, rather than, you know, getting down on yourself, let's make some changes. Let's get you in the gym. You know, let's you start your own program. If you want me to be your trainer, I'm happy to do that. I can find another trainer again because we're friends. Um, And he was like, no. And so he stuck with me. He showed up on time. He was very, very weighed his food. His wife called me and said, what have you done to my husband? Because he wouldn't eat anything. He wouldn't go out drinking. He didn't want to do anything. He looks amazing. He quit his job, got a, went into a totally different profession. And now he's running Spartan races. He's doing these crazy runs, you know, for, um, you know, really good, um, you know, just things in his community. And he's, you know, he's really more of a spokesperson now. And, and I, I, I mean, it was me just saying, hey, let's just get you in the gym and see if we can make you feel better. And this guy has taken off. And so, yeah, but he had to commit and then he realized that, okay, if if I want to stay married, I am going to have to make some some changes, but he's still, he looks amazing still. He's doing things, but he's also realized that there is more to life than counting your food, watching what, or counting your calories, watching what you eat. You know, you've got to enjoy life too. So there's a balance. Absolutely. Yep. Great points. Yes. So now if we kind of think about putting it all together, it kind of goes into different processes. And so when we look at the next slide here, you're going to kind of see that, that it's more than just, just an outcome. And I think that's a really big thing. So Marty, you want to talk about like goal setting? Yeah. Goal setting is very important. Again, we touched on this with uh, the instructor roundtable that I did on my doctor research that there are a high propensity of people that really want to set goals. And when they have goals, they stick with them. So it's important to know that, you know, and when we look at the goal is, you know, is it outcome? So this relates to winning or losing typically against an opponent. And again, the opponent could be, you know, you want to run a 5k race and you want to get in the top 10% or top 5% for your age group. That can be, you know, it doesn't have to be so cutthroat competitive, but can be. So you're not first or last. Ricky Bobby, I get it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean something to to, No, no, something to be said about a good Ricky Bobby quote whenever you can get it in there. And then uh, performance is the, at least I knew it. So uh, the end product of performance usually is expressed in some terms of personal achievement. I want to earn a black belt. I want to finish a marathon. 
I want to lose a certain amount of pounds so that they can achieve personal best running that Boston Marathon, as you see here. And then the process for goal setting is the process that the individual wants um, to engage to be um, perform in, in a satisfactory manner keep a con consistent pace. So I want to run an eight minute pace, whatever that is. So, you know, it's just good to not just say, let's set a goal, but understand these differences between outcome performance and process. If you are going to set goals with your client, so that way it's not just something that you set once and there's no really game plan to that as well. Well, I think that comes back to the, you know, the smart goals, you have to be specific mm -hmm. It has to be measurable, attainable, you know, so, you know, again, really kind of revisiting what, you know, the smart or smarts, depending on which, which book, what, what you're learning about and, and which way you're, you're trying to set goals, there's different ways of doing it, but they have to be very specific because anybody can, I want to, I want to start running. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Do you want to run on a treadmill? You want to run outside? Do you want to run on the, you know, on a, on the trail run? Is there like a certain distance you're trying to run? Is there a certain time you want to beat? is, you know, you've got to be more specific, the more specific. Remember guys, we talked about this in the subjective information, the more specific you are in the very beginning and the more information you can gather, the more you can really can build out a program that's individualized, specific, and it help them reach specific goals by moving better, feeling better, but then also making sure too, that it's realistic to what they want to achieve long-term. Yeah. Cause sometimes the running is when you ask the questions, it's like, Oh, you want to lose five pounds. Okay. But they, they only thought running was the way to get there. So that's why, or it could be that they want to run a marathon. I've seen it go both ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey Marty, I need to run a half marathon in the next month. You think you can make that happen? I haven't ran in two years. <laughs> We will talk offline. When is that a realistic goal? <laughs> I don't want this recorded uh, and out in the public domain with what I'm about to tell you. Uh, true story, y'all. Just letting you know. So, all right, moving on. <laughs> uh, so the key takeaways, I mean, I think you guys pretty much got it. You know, I mean, you have the, the ability to make a impactful um, change for someone like, you know, however you can speak to someone, you can identify how they learn, you can identify their fears and then be very specific in their goal setting to help them achieve their goals. And then having, you know, the ability to move things around if things are not working for them, meaning if they're coming in and they're having a bad day, maybe doing certain exercises you had planned wasn't, wasn't, it's not the most ideal time to introduce new things. Maybe you need to do something else because they're just not mentally there, but they're there. So communication, again, as Marty and I have always talked about, that is key. You've got to communicate to your client. You've got to ask them how they're feeling. You're always assessing. So you're seeing how they're walking in. You see kind of their mood by how they're, you know, their face, their posture, all that stuff. But the big thing is, is don't get so lost in the science that you're not connecting with them. Yes, the anatomy is the anatomy. Biomechanics is biomechanics. Your programs should be your programs. But you also have to be able to have that rapport and understand, you know, what's going on with life and be able to change like right on the spot by, you know, regressing or progressing something based on um, what's going on with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the more you learn this, what I call soft skill and you continue to develop your science, it just becomes where they blend so well together and you just really can make a huge impact and your career will take off for sure. Yes. Yeah, so check out the behavioral change specialist. If you guys were debating on whether you should do it, I've looked, you know, I've gone through it. Marty's gone through it. I mean, mm -hmm. we really see that there, there was some really good information in there and 
even if you think you know it, it's always good to refresh anyway, as we talked about. Absolutely. So. Cool. Yes. Well, Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, that kind of brings us to our contact information. If you guys have any questions, I mean, Marty's like the behavior change guy. Like I said, he did his, his doctor program pretty much on, on, you know, understanding, reading people and, and changing. But, you know, if you just want to say hi to me or say, hey, I really like for you guys to talk about this subject, you can always contact me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then my information is there, marty.miller.nasm.org, Instagram, dr.martymiller72. And just a couple of key takeaways. Don't forget to check out Optima that's coming up soon, as Wendy talked about at the beginning. And then you can check out Wendy and Ken Miller on the Random Fit podcast, as well as every Tuesday, I'm doing my morning coffee talks. We're there to help you guys. So thank you so much for attending. Wendy, great job as always. You as well. Take care, everybody.